Act One of Miss Busby's Borders by Arthur Lewis Tubbs. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Miss Busby's Borders A Comedy in Three Acts. Characters Jerome Townsend, a lover somewhat in the background. Read by Tommy Hersant. Felix Marden, who is not afraid to come to the front. Read by Adrian Stevens. Mr. Smith, a mysterious individual. Read by Todd. Alexander Pettifer, a worm that finally turns. Read by Alan Mapstone. Jimmy Spangler, a song and dance artist. Read by David Purdy. Marguerite Marr, a star in vaudeville. Read by Jennifer Pratt. Lillian Wendale, by the villain still pursued. Read by Ashley Jane. Pansy Purple. Read by Kelly Taylor. Amelia Busby, from the country, who keeps borders in the city. Read by Avahi. Mrs. Pettifer, with a mind of her own and willing to speak it. Read by T.J. Burns. Florinda, who is generally on hand. Read by Annie Maas. Stage directions. Read by Devorah Allen. Synopsis. Act 1. Parlor of Miss Busby's Boarding House in Harlem, New York City. A morning in December. Act 2. Marguerite Marr's Dressing Room at the Theater. Afternoon of the same day. Act 3. Same as Act 1. About eleven o'clock that evening. Costumes and Characteristics Jerome Townsend A good-looking, well-dressed young man, about twenty-five. Dark business or street suit, same in Act 1 and Act 2. For Act 3, may change to evening clothes, if desired. Felix Marden A handsome, dashing man of the world, about thirty years of age. Somewhat fast, with a dissipated look and reckless manner. Not a stage Johnny, but a man of wealth with the air of a successful lady-killer. Elegant street suit in Act 2. In Act 3, evening clothes. Mr. Smith, middle-aged, keen-eyed man, with an assumed manner of absent-mindedness. Plain suit of fairly good material, same throughout. Alexander Pettifer, a small, insignificant-looking man, of the discouraged, henpecked variety. Timid and shrinking, particularly before his wife, until his metamorphosis in Act Three. Then he assumes an aggressive manner as a decided contrast. Neat business suit. Jimmy Spangler, typical young vaudeville song and dance man, rather loud, but sincere and good-natured. In Act Two, he wears his stage get-up, a neat-fitting checked suit with fancy necktie, derby hat, dancing pumps, etc. Act 3, up-to-date suit, with a suggestion of loudness, red tie, etc. Marguerite Marr, a tall, handsome vaudeville vocalist, of the stately showgirl type. She has a trace of cheap vulgarity, not pronounced enough to be offensive, and speaks slang unconsciously. A wholehearted, lovable young woman, outspoken, but sympathetic and sincere. 
In Act One, she wears a handsome street dress with coat and hat. Act Two, an elaborate stage gown. Act Three, similar to Act One. Lillian Wendale, attractive girl of about nineteen or twenty, timid and with an evident fear of danger. She wears in Act One a plain dark dress. Similar attire with wraps and thick veil in Act Two. Act Three, costume a little more cheerful and becoming. But not elaborate. Pansy Purple, gay, spirited girl of eighteen, the customary soubrette, a bit bold and forward, but by no means offensive. Act One, somewhat conspicuously arrayed in a handsome outdoor costume with wraps. Act Two, gorgeous short-skirted dancing costume, trimmed with purple pansies, as fancy and pretty as possible. Act Three. Same as or similar to Act One. Amelia Busby, plain, typical old maid, still countrified though living in the city, prim, precise, and comical, but not a caricature. She is about forty-five years of age, face without much color and somewhat wrinkled, hair combed straight back and done up in a knot behind, or crimped in front, no antiquated side curls. Wears plain house dress in Act One. Her best gown with wrap and bonnet in Act Two, and in Act Three a coloured dress with some fixings, or same as Act Two. Mrs. Pettifer, a large, portly woman, loud of voice and domineering in manner, the typical gossipy boarder. Plain morning gown in Act One, in Act Three black or brown silk, profusely trimmed with a show of old-fashioned jewellery. Florinda. A coloured maid of the topsy variety, mischievous and bubbling over with fun, dark dress with white apron, hair tied up with ribbons in Act One, in Act Two, her best dress, decidedly gay, with hat trimmed with bright ribbons and feather, Act Three, same as Act One. Properties, several letters sealed, stamped, and addressed, book, theatrical makeup materials, grease paint, hair's foot. Powder, rouge, chamois cloth, hand mirror, comb, brush, etc. Assortment of costumes, hats, a few sheets of music, playbills, posters, trunks, etc., as seen in a theatre dressing room. Smelling salts, cards, pieces of paper, pen and ink, large bouquet of roses, crochet work or sewing, dollar bill. Act One, Scene. Parlor of Amelia Busby's boarding house in New York City, a comfortable room with somewhat old-fashioned and rather dilapidated furniture, with a few better pieces, several pictures evidently brought from the country, and one or two more up to date. Table with spread down right center, sofa left, chairs etc. Double doors center in flat with portieres. Discover Mrs. Pettifer, dressed for the street. Standing center, buttoning gloves. As curtain rises, Florinda enters left with several letters. Oh, is that the mail, Florinda? Yes, am. Just coming in, Mom. Is there any for me? I'll just look it over. Holds out hand. Miss Busby, she done told me to give it to her first, Mom. She might scold me if I didn't do it. Ha! <laughs> I guess she wouldn't scold you for letting me see if I had any mail. Let me see. Takes letters, looks them over curiously. 
No, there isn't. But there might have been. I know there won't. Here's one for Miss Wendell, though. In a man's writing, too. The same I saw on one yesterday. She must hear from him pretty often, seems to me. <laughs> I don't just like the looks of it. Ever try looking into other way, ma'am? So till you wouldn't see quite so much? What's that? You're an impudent child, Florinda, and I shall report you to your mistress. La sakes, ma'am. I don't care if you does. She done say the very same thing herself. Said what? Why it you didn't never miss much what's going on? Yes, she did, ma'am, cause I done heard her say it. Oh, she did, did she? I'm glad you told me. So that's the way she talks about her borders, is it? I'll leave her house when our week's up. So that's what Miss Busby said, is it? Oh, indeed. Yes'm. Goodbye when you go, Mum. She goes right, giggling. Mrs. Pettifer has laid the letters on table. Enter right, Marguerite Marr. She looks at letters, finds one or two for herself, opens and reads one. Good morning, Miss Marr. You wasn't down to breakfast this morning. Good morning, Mrs. Pettifer. No, I wasn't up. I don't get to bed very early, you know, so I generally sleep late. Mrs. Pettifer, having paused, left. Oh, I see. Well, of all things in the world, being an actress is the last business I'd choose. I think it's a shocking thing for any woman to go into. Do you? I most certainly do. Catch me up there making an exhibition of myself before folks. I should hope not, but one doesn't have to go on the stage to make an exhibition of oneself. I have seen people do it, well, in boarding houses, for instance. Oh, you have? If you mean anything personal, I must say you're a bold piece. <sighs> but what can you expect from an actress? And I want you to understand I'm a respectable woman. I wouldn't go inside of a theater. I consider them the abode of Satan. You must know our stage manager. That's what some of us call him, only not in quite such polite terms. But there are such things as theatrical angels, too. We are all looking for them, to put us up among the stars, you know. No, I don't know, and I don't want to know. I think such talk is just sacrilegious. I don't know what the world's coming to. Well, a good share of it is coming to our show. We are packing the house twice a day. I pride myself. I help do it, too. You ought to come and see my skit. Oh, you act skittish, do you? That's about the idea I had of it. I ain't a mite surprised. I wish I could do something to reform. Oh, now, really, Miss Pettifer. Do you think I need it? Straightening up. If I do say it, my share, I mean, form, is one thing I feel proud of. Mrs. Pettifer shows disgust. Starts to go. But really, Mrs. Pettifer, you have no right to judge us when you boast of never entering a theater. Come some day and see for yourself. I'll be pleased to get you a couple of passes. What? Me? No, thank you. I wouldn't think of such a thing. Florinda, who has stood back, listening intently. You mount give me that our pass, Miss Ma. I'd rather go to the theater and eat. Yes, you little heathen. I warned you would. 
Don't you uphold her in it, Miss Marr. If you do, you'll have it to answer for. Starting to go right, then coming back, speaking mysteriously. By the way, Miss Marr, what do you think of that Miss Wendale? Don't it seem to you sometimes that she, well, I kind of wonder now and then what there is about her. Ain't you never thought about it? Florinda pretends to be busy about room, but listens carefully. No, I can't say that I have in particular. If I have thought anything, it's that she seems to be a refined and ladylike young woman. My, I didn't know actresses could be so charitable. For my part, I don't agree with you. I think it looks suspicious when a woman lives alone so and never tells a soul who she is or where she comes from or anything about herself. Mr. Smith enters, center door from right, reading a book. He pauses upstage, not noticing the others. I, I don't see. Mrs. Pettifer, seeing Mr. Smith. Oh, good morning, Mr. Smith. Mr. Smith, without looking up. Good morning. Mrs. Pettifer, going to him, laying her hand on his arm and looking about cautiously. Hmm. Why, Mr. Smith, I wanted to ask you what is your opinion of... of Miss Wendale? Mr. Smith, still reading, absent-mindedly. My opinion is that the... the author has not fully substantiated the claim which... Eh? Looking up. Oh, yes, ma'am. Did you speak to me, Mrs... Mrs... Oh, really, madam, your name has escaped me. My name is Mrs. Pettifer, and my husband is Mr. Pettifer. Land, you ought to know it. You sat next to us at the table long enough. Oh, yes, to be sure. Fettifer. Mr. and Mrs. Pettifer. No, not Fettifer. Nor Pettifer. Pettifer. But I asked you a question. I said, what is your opinion? Yes, yes, so you did. My opinion is that, that it will be a pleasant day if it doesn't storm. Land, I never saw such a man. Marguerite laughs. Florinda is fairly convulsed with mirth. Well, I don't see anything to laugh at. I think it's sad when a man ain't got a grain of sense. Florinda, stop that giggling. I shall tell your mistress how you behave, insulting her boarders. I don't know as it's to be wondered at, though, with the example you have. Going up left. I never saw such a set of folks. I never did. Exit center door to right, indignantly. Some people aren't at all backward about expressing their opinions. And as for prying, that woman ought to be placed on exhibition as the human crowbar. Deed and she had, myth, and nothing she don't investigate and... But it doesn't look well for you to talk about her, Florinda. You better go and see if there isn't something you ought to do. Florinda, upright. Yes'm, as winter, as got enough to do, sure thing. Miss Busby, she's done see to that. Near exit. Ma'am, you done go and give Miss Pettifer that our pass, miss? No, Florinda, I guess I'll have to give it to you, some day, if you're a good girl. Aw, I's gwine be good. Yes, indeedy, I is. Gwine be good as one of them are 
tactical angels you done just told about. Yes, indeedy, I is. Exit right, nodding her head to one side, as if to emphasize her words. Dear me, I hope you'll be better than that, or you will never deserve to get even into the nigger heaven. Mr. Smith continues reading, but does not miss anything that is going on. Marguerite regards him intently a moment. That must be a very interesting book you're reading, Mr. Smith. What's that? Oh, yes, it is. Very interesting. What is it about? Why, um, it's about... about... About a woman with secrets and a man who is trying to catch her in a trap, perhaps. A man who pretends to be what he isn't, but who cannot fool one woman who sees through him. Is it anything like that, Mr... Smith? Mr. Smith, slightly startled in spite of himself, but quickly regaining his self-possession. No, it is not anything like that, Miss... Miss whatever your name is. It is not a novel, and it is not... But it is a novel situation, nevertheless. Come now, Mr... whatever your name is, for it isn't Smith. You might as well drop that little mask you're wearing, at least for me. I've been watching you, as you have been watching somebody else, and... Well, you may fool the other poor innocents in this establishment, but me you have run up against a different proposition. I get around and see things, I do, and I've learned to know a sham from the real thing. Your name isn't Smith, and you are not absent-minded, and you are not interested in that book. So, you see, you are discovered. Indeed. You are a most discerning young woman, I must admit. But you are going a little too fast this time. Talk about human crowbars. Good. That's the time you got back to me, and it goes to prove that you are not as stupid as you look. I mean, pretend. You may be a good actor, but I know acting when I see it. And this is too much like a play to deceive little Marguerite. You needn't be afraid, though. I'm not going to give your little game away. But I should like to know just what you're up to. You don't seem to be the heartless villain exactly. Looks off right. But here comes the heroine. The plot thickens. Mr. Smith had, for the moment, dropped to some extent his assumed manner, but resumes it as Lillian Wendale enters right. Marguerite notices him and smiles to herself, knowingly. She goes and meets Lillian, who is pale and appears to be somewhat weak. Good morning, Miss Wendale. I'm afraid you're not feeling very well this morning. No. I didn't sleep much and have a bad headache. I have just had a cup of coffee and I think it will help me. I wanted to see if I have any mail. The letters have been left on the table, right centre. Mr Smith has several times glanced at them keenly, is now about to take them up, but is prevented by Marguerite, who seizes them quickly, picks out the one for Lillian and hands it to her with a swift, exultant glance at Mr Smith. He pretends not to notice her, but watches Lillian out of the corners of his eyes. He is down right, Marguerite center, and Lillian left center. Lillian takes her letter, thanks Marguerite, and sits. She opens letter and reads, with some agitation, which she is not able wholly to hide. Mr. Smith slyly watches her. Marguerite prepares to go. Enter Amelia Busby, left. Good morning. Oh, is that you, Miss Wendell? I didn't know you was up yet. 
Ain't feeling any too well, are you? I am all right, thank you, Miss Busby. Well, I'm real glad to hear it. So you're here too, Mr. Smith, as sociable as ever. Marguerite, up left, about to go. Oh, yes, he's been talking a blue streak. It's almost impossible for anybody else to get a word in edgeways. Well, I must be off. I'll be late at rehearsal as it is, and that means a fine. It's all your fault, too, Mr. Smith, for being so perfectly fascinating. Mr. Smith scowls, but says nothing. The others smile. I'll risk you any time when it comes to getting a word in, Miss Marr. Now, Miss Busby... Well, it's a good thing somebody around here looks on the bright side of things. If I had time, I'd stay now and do a song and dance to liven you up a bit. But I must skip and do the skittish act, as our friend Mrs. Pettifer calls it. So long. Exit left. Land, ain't she a piece? Well, she's about right. If it wasn't for her, I guess we'd all be in the dumps most of the time. I thought when I come to the city it'd take borders... I'd find it as lively as a circus, but I declare it ain't much better than Juniper will. As I said before, if it weren't for Miss Marr... You forget Mr. and Mrs. Pettifer. Particularly the Mrs. Well, I must admit she ain't one of the quiet kind, but as for that man of hers, ah, oh, I ain't got no use for such a man, nor any other kind for that matter. It ain't that I never had an offer, you needn't think. No, sir, I've had plenty of them. But I had some sense, and tis a good thing I did, after all the married misery I've seen. Ain't I about right, Mr. Smith? Really, I... I don't know as I have any opinion on the subject, Miss Busby. You might ask Miss Wendale. Perhaps she... Miss Wendale? Land, what does she know about it? If you ain't the funniest man. Notices Lillian, who has tottered and seems about to faint. Runs and supports her. Why, Miss Wendale, you're sick. You'd better go and lay down, and I'll send for the doctor. No, thank you. It is nothing. I'm not very strong, that's all. I will go to my room. Yes, I would. You come right along and I'll help you. They go off right. Mr. Smith stands looking after them with a satisfied smile, nodding his head knowingly. Voice of Mrs. Pettifer heard off right. Mr. Smith goes out right, first entrance, as Mr. and Mrs. Pettifer enter. Center door right. Don't you talk to me, Alexander Pettifer. I say I saw you. You stood on the corner talking to that woman. I suppose she's someone you know well and go to see. Why, I... Yes, you do, too. Sometimes you're out of my sight for a whole hour. But... No, sir. I don't believe you was just telling her the way to some place. I... Don't talk to me. I know just what you'd say. It's the same old story, and I don't believe a word of it. You're like all the rest of the men. <gasps> <gasps> <laughs> but, my dear, I... I ain't your dear. You don't love me and... Suddenly changing her tone, looking up. Who was that woman, anyway? She... Oh, she was. A perfect stranger, was she? I don't believe it. 
It was some woman you love better than you do me. Oh, Alexander, how can you treat me so? Me, your own confiding little wife. You know how I lean on you, like a clinging vine to the strong oak. And yet, you go and treat me like this. Oh, dear. Oh, dear, you'll break my tender, trusting heart. <gasps> she is seated right center, rocks back and forth, again weeping. Now, darling, I... You needn't deny it. You treat me shamefully. You know you do. Some day you'll be sorry when I'm laid away in the silent tomb. Mr. Pettifer, under his breath. Silent? What's that? You're a cruel, heartless man and you never loved me. He attempts to make up to her. She pushes him away. No use your coaxing, Alexander Pettifer. You can't pull the wool over my eyes. My heart is broken. <laughs> Covers her face, weeping. He stands watching her a moment, then makes a movement of disgust as if swearing, and exits quietly right, unnoticed by her. No. Don't tell me how sorry you are. I shan't listen. Pause. You'd go right off and do the same thing over again, wouldn't you, Alexander, eh? Pause. Alexander, would you? Are you sure, dear? Why? Looks up, sees that he is gone. Why, he's gone. Just as I was going to forgive him, too, the mean thing. Jumps up in a rage. I'll give it to him for that. He'll see he can't. Starts to go out right, first entrance. Runs into Mr. Smith. He does not notice her. Land, why don't you look where you're going? I never saw such a man. Say, see here, what are you anyway? I, I'm busy reading. Oh, you are. Well, it's my opinion you're the queerest acting man I ever saw. What's your business? My own. Huh, I suppose you mean, well, anyway, I'm going to ask you something. What do you think about Miss Wendale? Miss, oh, uh, Miss Wendale? Yes, if that's her name. Don't you think it's kind of queer the way she does and acts? Why, she never tells anybody a thing about herself. Who she is, where she come from, or anything. Seems to me it looks mighty suspicious. Hmm, I, I really, I wouldn't condemn a woman simply because she has the rare faculty among women of keeping something to herself. Indeed. So you're like the rest of the men after all, captivated by every doll face that comes along. There's Mr. Pettifer. If I didn't watch him, he'd run after every good-looking thing that had skirts on. That actress, for instance, the bold piece. I don't see why Miss Busby lets her stay here. To my mind, the theater is a low amusement. Yes. Now, I have found it rather high, unless you go up in the gallery, and then it is both. Have you ever been to one? Once. Mr. Pettifer took me to see a play called The Black Crook. I thought it was going to be a Negro minstrel show when we went in, but I declare it was the most shocking thing. I never saw such an exhibition. Why, there was as much as a hundred girls. 
and all they had on together wouldn't have made one respectable dress. And as true as I'm standing here, Mr. Pettifer seemed to enjoy it. The best I could do, I couldn't make him go till twas all over. Said he'd paid a dollar apiece for our tickets and he wasn't going to be cheated out of it. Mr. Smith, forgetting himself and speaking in a natural manner, smiling. Good for Pettifer. What's that? Mr. Smith quickly resuming his abstracted manner. Oh, I... I mean... It is good for Mr. Pettifer to have such a watchful, careful wife. Oh, well, I should say so. That reminds me. I wonder where he is now. I must go and see. Yes, it might not be safe to leave him to himself so long. Eh? What do you mean by that? For that matter, I never saw the man yet that was to be trusted out of sight. Goes to center door. Runs into Florinda, who enters from right, hurriedly. My goodness! Why don't you look where you're going? I never saw such a child. Exit to right. Florinda looking after her, making a face. I don't care, you old steamboat, you. Wouldn't she make you sick? Exit left. Mr. Smith stands looking off to left a moment then dodges back as Florinda re-enters center door left, showing in Jerome Townsend. Who'll I tell her tis, mister? Here is my card. Takes card from pocket, hands it to Florinda. Yes, sir, I'll give it to her. Going right. My, ain't he stylish? Exit right. Jerome stands or sits down left. Mr. Smith looks at him unseen. Again conceals himself, as Miss Busby enters right. Good morning, sir. You wish to see Miss Wendell? Yes, please. Uh, she is in. Yes, she's in, but she ain't very well this morning. She feels some better now, though. You're the first caller she's had since she come here more than two weeks ago. I suppose you're a friend of hers? Why, yes, I, I am. Well, you look like a real nice man. Thank you. You're welcome. I thought it kind of queer her being here the way she is, and no callers or anything. Of course, it's her own business, as I tell the rest of my boarders, and she always pays her board and is a perfect lady. I'll say that for her, and, uh, well, it's my candid opinion that she's better than some of them that talk about her. So, they do talk about her? Hmm. Well, you know, I suppose it's kind of natural, seeing she keeps to herself so and all. Mercy, no, it ain't that I ever thought anything, or... If I had, you may be sure. Well, you see, I pride myself around a first-class, very genteel boarding house. Mm, of course. Sees Lillian, who enters right. Oh, here she is. Miss Wendale, he's a friend come to see you. I hope he'll cheer you up. Lillian goes and shakes hands with Jerome. They strive to act like mere friends, but have some difficulty in concealing their real emotions. Miss Busby goes upright, about to go out, catches a glimpse of Mr. Smith, who is in center door. He dodges back, but not in time to escape notice, and is compelled to come forward. Why, Mr. Smith, is that you? You'll give me a start. 
Yes, I... I... You see, I left my book and came back to look. Why, what's that in your hand? Mr. Smith looks at the book in his hand. In my... Oh, yes, to be sure. But this is not the one. Excuse me, perhaps it is in my room. I will go and see. Exit right, after a surreptitious but keen look at Jerome, who also gives him a searching look. Lillian appears somewhat perturbed. Miss Busby up left. Sometimes I think that man must be crazy or half-witted. He acts so queer. Land ain't a world full of freaks. Only we never seem to think we're one of them. Exit left. Jerome and Lillian, who have been down left, now come to center. He clasps her in his arms, kissing her. She submits to his embrace for an instant, then draws away, looking about apprehensively. Jerome, be careful. If someone should see... And if they should? Have you forgotten what it might mean? Ah, I understand. Well, we will be careful. But it has been so long since I saw you last, dear. It was cruel of you not to let me know where you were for so long. To write to me and yet give me no address? But I knew you would come if I did, and I waited until I thought it was safe. And now, after all my precaution... You have come just at the wrong minute. But, Lillian, dear, you told me I might... Yes, but that was yesterday. Today my suspicions of that man were awakened. I feel sure that he is watching me, that he has been set upon my track by the man whose one purpose is revenge. I think you make too much of it. You imagine dangers which do not exist and magnify a molehill into a mountain of peril. Oh, come, go with me. Let the man you think your enemy do his worst and trust me to protect you. Believe me, it will come out all right and everything will be for the best. Ah, if I could only believe you. But I know my danger. And if you knew all, you would not give me such advice. Then you must tell me all, that I may know how to help and protect you. Is there something back of it that I don't understand? Yes. He has me in his power, though I am guiltless of any wrong. You know, when my father died, he left practically nothing, and I was obliged to do something to earn my living. As I had a good musical education, I began to teach music. Among my pupils was a young girl named Alice Marden. Twice a week I went to her home to give her a lesson, and one day I met her brother. That day seems to have been the most unlucky of my life. He was handsome, cultured, and, apparently, a gentleman. And I... I was weak and foolish enough to believe him when he professed to have fallen in love with me and asked me to marry him. I thought then that I loved him, but I see now that it was only infatuation. He promised me so much, and it looked so much like happiness that for a time I believed him. 
It was not long, however, before my eyes were opened. He was a villain. Yes, but thank heaven I found it out before it was too late. A maid in the house, whom he had also professed to love, warned me, and I escaped. We were to have been secretly married, and when I told him that I found him out, and told him never to speak to me again, he at first pleaded with me, then became so angry that I feared he would kill me. I got away, however, but he swore to be revenged and to make me suffer. He has done it, too. He is doing it now. I am in his power. That is why you are hiding here under an assumed name. I see that, but I don't understand how and why it is. What can he do? Do? He... Oh, I cannot possibly tell you. I cannot bear even to speak it. The possibility of what he can and may do, if it comes to the worst, so fills me with terror. But you can tell me, I who believe in you and love you. He can... Here's noise off left. Someone is coming. They have been standing close together, down centre. Now separate as Florinda enters left, showing in pansy purple. Oh, how do you do? I hope I don't intrude. I was looking for Miss Marr, but this little black beauty here tells me she's gone to the theater. Thought I'd catch her on my way down. Yes, I believe Miss Marr left some time ago. She said she had a rehearsal and feared she'd be late. Oh, that's it. I see. She's getting up her new act. Ever see her do her stunt? No. You ain't? Well, have you, mister? I don't think so. What is her name? Why, Marguerite Ma. She does a great singing act and changes her dress four times. Oh, she's a swell one. But when you come right down to it, she ain't got no mortgage on swell acts. I'm sort of there with the goods myself. Suppose you've heard of me? Pansy Purple, that's me. Florinda, edging up and looking at her curiously. Thus sake, you one of them dem are actress ladies too? Sure, don't I have the appearance? I'm a dancer. On the toes, too. Say, Mademoiselle G.D. ain't the only tiptoer on the boards. I can do a few twirls myself. and show us one. What? Here? Guess not. This ain't no free show. Besides, I left my dancing togs home on the rosewood piano. La, ain't that a queer place to keep em. Guess you's trying to kid this child, ain't you? That'll be all for you now. Fade away, little black thundercloud, and let the sun shine. Florinda going left. Hehe, <laughs> don't she say queer things? Exit left. I'm awfully sorry I miss Miss Ma. I wanted to tell her all about things on the way down on the L. 
Say she's one of the best ever. Ain't many of em like her. Yes, Miss Marr is a true friend, I am sure. You can just bet she is. And when you find one of them in our profesh, you want to hang on tight. She ain't no jealous cat like most of em. When she says a thing, you can bank on it. And she wouldn't go back on her word for the best diamond parara in Tiffany's. She must be a jewel indeed. I should like to meet her. That's the way the men all feel. Why, they'd plenty of em and give her all the automobiles and champagne suppers she wanted. But no, sir, she ain't that kind. She's one of the few that ain't forgot home and mother. And, uh, but say, I mustn't stand here gabbing. I have to skip. About to go. Say, Miss... Wendale. Miss Wendale. Why don't you come to the theatre sometime and see what it's like? I have thought of it. Miss Ma has asked me several times. You come. Behind, I mean. Where you see the real life. Indicating Jerome. You can bring him if you want to. Thank you. I should like it above all things. All right. We'll look for you. I'll introduce you to my Jimmy. He's my partner, song and dance, I mean. Him and me get off a lot of guff to start with before we show him our feats terpsichore. How's that? I said it all alone, too. F-E-A-T-S, you know, not the feats we dance with. That's a near joke, ain't it? Sometimes I make real ones, but I ain't in it with Jimmy. We use some of his in our act. Well, goodbye. Remember now, we'll look for you at the theatre before long. I won't promise, but perhaps. Well, you better come. It ain't everybody that gets the chance, and we'll show you a dandy time. I've heard Miss Marr speak of you, and she thinks you're just grand. Jerome, smiling. <laughs> and so she is. Oh, I knew you thought so, all right. You didn't have to show me a diagram of your heart. <laughs> well, I'm off. Goodbye. See you later. Exit. Center door left. Cheerful little soul, isn't she? But such manners. I don't like to see a young woman so forward. No, but she means well, I am sure. And she is only a type. Uh, and what of this Miss Marr? She is not so bad. Something the same, but at least a little more refined. I like her, and somehow I feel that if I ever needed a real friend, she would not fail me. And what about poor little me? Why, Jerome, of course you know I meant a woman friend. And you, aren't you more than a friend to me? My darling, I hope so. He is about to embrace her, but checks himself as he sees Mr. Smith, who is standing in center door, pretending not to notice them. Lillian, looking around, sees him. Mr. Smith! Yes, I... I was looking. 
"'Seems to me you are always looking, sir. "'There appears to be no such thing as privacy where you are.' "'That is my business.' It seems to be your business to spy upon others. But I wish to tell you now, sir, that this young lady is under my protection, and... Jerome, be careful. Let him be careful. If he persecutes you, he must answer to me. Pray don't get excited. It is quite useless. The young lady is entirely safe, so far as I am concerned. You quite misunderstand me. I was only looking for my book. I mean for Miss Busby. Well, she is not here. I will call the servant and send for her. Goes toward left. I, too, wish to see her. You, Jerome? For what? To tell her that you are going to leave this house at once with me. Go and get ready. I will wait. He is down left. Lillian goes and speaks aside to him. Mr. Smith stands center door, apparently looking in his book, but furtively watching them. Not now. I don't dare. You must, if you love and trust me. You know. Then do as I say. I will. She clasps his hand, secretly. They look into each other's eyes lovingly. Then she goes up center, about to go out, but encounters Mr. Smith, who whispers a few words to her. What do you mean? I... Jerome, who had not noticed them, now turns. Jerome going up. Sir? Mr. Smith coolly, throwing off his assumed manner and speaking with authority. The young lady has decided to stay. He stands center. Lillian takes a few steps and falls fainting into the arms of Jerome, who looks defiantly at Mr. Smith. Curtain. End of Act One.